97% of salespeople are missing this one thing that if they only knew it would allow them to close 75% more sales. It has nothing to do with charisma, the gift of gab, or whatever else you've been told. Because if you're trying to convince your customer, that means they don't want to buy, which means you've already lost the sale. What sales professionals do is sell customers exactly what they want to buy. They work with the customer to uncover their current challenges, the consequences of those challenges, and how that's impacting them. They then help the prospect describe the ideal solution to their problems, what that looks like, and how that perfect outcome will impact them. And once they can picture that perfect outcome, price is irrelevant. That's right. Sales professionals sell customers exactly what they want to buy because it's easier dealing with a happy customer than dealing with a customer who felt sold. So here's the deal. I explain everything in my live two-day sales workshop, June 14th and 15th in my office. Go to closemoresales.com workshop and you'll be able to close more sales as soon as you get back. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today, we've got Stephanie Betters, who with multiple companies, so I can't pick one specifically. <laughs> and she's going to talk about how you can scale your business through systems, processes, and also being a nurse as well, which is kind of crazy. Um, if this is your first time tuning in, I am Steve Trang sales trainer for some of the top wholesalers in the country, and I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. A uh, question I get all the time is how do you become one of the 100 millionaires? Uh, the information on this podcast alone is enough for you to become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. All you need to do is take consistent action and you will become one. When you hear a nugget, please type into the comment section and after the show, identify your single biggest takeaway and focus on just that for the next seven days. If you get value today, please tag a friend below or share this episode right now that way we can all grow together and this is a live show so please ask your questions for stephanie to answer you ready i'm ready all right so first question is what got you into real estate okay my husband is re responsible for that my husband zach mm -hmm. um we met in college really really young we were i was 19 when i when i met him we started dating um and when we graduated college we had nothing we had no money we just had fresh fresh degrees and no money and uh he convinced us, convinced me to buy a foreclosed house. This was in 2007. Like, right, like, right, <laughs> great timing, right? And because uh, that's what you do when you have no money, you fit, you get a fixer upper and you live in it and you, and you flip it. So that's what we did. And I tell him all the time, like, that was not what I imagined you carrying me over the threshold into this disaster of a house with water damage and mold and the whole thing. Did you guys move into it? We did, but thankfully we gutted it before we moved in. So we took care of the mold, <laughs> and then literally then we moved in. Like So you guys were house hacking back like, in 07. 07, yeah. That's awesome. That was the first one. So we lived in it, we flipped it. Um, it took us about a year and a half, and we sold it literally at the peak. Like It was 2009, early 2009 when we sold it, and we were in Binghamton, New York, and literally two weeks after we sold it, the whole market there crashed. IBM was a bigger big employee there. They laid everybody off. So we like just got through it with the nick of our teeth. So fantastic timing. Yes. So then we took all that money, we put it in a CD, and we went to grad school. And so Zach is a physician assistant. I'm a nurse practitioner. And after we graduated, we were trying to figure out what to do next. We were living on Long Island. It was really expensive to live there. Young professionals now. Charlotte, my daughter, was born. We're like, what do we do? And he's like, well, let's do the real estate thing again. That was good. We made money. And I was like, okay, well, I'll do it again, but I will never live in it again. So whatever we do, we've got to figure it out so we don't have to live in that because yeah. I had like sheetrock dust PTSD. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Yeah. So we looked, our, our family was all over the U.S. at that time. Um, so we weren't married to a certain area. So we literally picked a place on the map. We looked at Charlotte. 
We did a little market analysis of that, compared it to Raleigh, compared it to Jacksonville, and we really felt that Charlotte had a great potential and it was kind of following those two markets. Uh, it was near an international airport, and it was warm enough that our parents would retire there. So we did it. There was a lot of thought that went into where you guys are moving to. Yep. And it had I didn't hear anything about being a doctor or a nurse <laughs> practitioner. So you guys were both going through medical schooling? Like what? Yeah, we it, were, we, we, we sold our house, went to grad school, mm-hmm. finished grad school, then then started this. Right, so you guys were studying for what exactly? Yeah, medicine, yeah. So you guys were both studying for medicine, mm-hmm. and you guys went to Raleigh? No. Charlotte. Charlotte. Yep. You went to Charlotte, and, and no part of your calculation was practicing medicine well it you know it was a good it was definitely a good place to practice that that was part of it okay. um there was the job market there for us was really good so Got that it. was part of that was it's funny that was secondary yeah yeah so you went there and then you got right back into the real estate game kind of so what we decided to do was build a house so this was my thing and and this comes up a lot for me in my story and still now but fear is like a big thing right like we just made a huge investment in our in our careers we had cumulatively over $200,000 in debt now. Even though we made like 40 grand, it was in a CD. We didn't count it. We had over $200,000 in student loan debt. So I was like, oh my God, we can't just abandon our careers at this point and just start a company. Like, what are we going to do? We need to have some sort of plan. I need to have some sort of like proof that this concept is going to work at scale. So we decided to um, build a house in a neighborhood we thought would appreciate. We're like, okay, this this neighborhood looks really good. Let's do it. If we build the house and we move in and we and we get um, equity, you know, if it, if it gains value, we'll take a HELOC out, and that's what we're going to use to start a business. Mm-hmm. So that took two years. So meanwhile, I had another baby. We're working. We're trying to pay off as much as we can. We're both working full time, just kind of learning as much as we can, reading everything. What were you guys doing? Listening to podcasts. But I mean, it, like, what were you guys doing for money? Oh, we were still working full time. So I was working as a CT surgery nurse practitioner. Zach's a uh, PA and in, in urgent care. So we were working full time doing that and like absorbing as much as we could about real estate. And then, so two years passes and I'm starting to feel a little more secure. Mm-hmm. We bought a rental um, and I was like, okay, that wasn't too scary. You know, we found a special program where you only had to put down 5% for that. Um, so we bought a rental. I was like, oh, okay, I think, I think we can do this. So then we got an appraisal on our house and we had like 30 grand in equity. So we took out 20. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, here we go. We've got 20 grand. What are we going to do? And um, we bought, we, we started we started looking on MLS, and our first deal was actually from an MLS and simultaneously a HUD deal. So we got two at the same time. So one we kept as a rental and one we flipped with private money from, you know, colleagues in the hospital, which is great. You know, you're just yeah. kind of chatting about real estate while you're stitching someone up, you know. <laughs> so that, that guy became a private money lender, and he funded our flip. So we, took, we, we put a tenant in that, in that house. That was great. And then we flipped that one, the other house, which is a little condo, and then we just kept taking that money and turning it. And then we started, after four deals like that, we started marketing, direct-to-seller marketing. And what was the those two deals you did? When was that exactly? That was 2015. Okay. 2015 so, to 2016. So you guys were in grad school for like four years? Two, three. Three years. Mm-hmm. And then you guys went down and started. Mm-hmm. Work for a couple of years, build some equity, and then you guys decide to jump in. Yep. So you're not the crazy people that jumps just jumps in. Well, in tw- in 2007 we did. We just bought the house and tried to figure <laughs> it out. But then after that we were trying to be a little more calculated. Got yeah. it. Okay. But so 2015 is when we started it again. And then you guys had success right off the bat. Essentially, I mean, we we definitely bumped our head a lot. We made a lot of mistakes with contractors, with 
repairs and and things like that. But we were pretty good out of the out of the gate. We we made money. And you guys were a husband wife team mm-hmm. in the beginning. So mm-hmm. you guys would both work. Well, I mean, do you even have a normal schedule in no. that? So you didn't have a normal schedule. Mm-mm. So then how were you guys able to balance work and life? Well, I guess work, marriage, and another business. It's really hard. It was really hard. I mean, we worked all the time. Um, we worked. We put the kids to bed, and we worked till one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning every day. Got it. Um, what you know, a lot of people that are, are, are jumping into this are predominantly single with a spouse that may or may not be supportive. Yeah. Right, and that's kind of, kind of the challenge as an yeah. entrepreneur. Uh, how is it join or, or starting a business together as a married couple? With kids, yeah, I mean it's it's hard. It's really hard. Um, I was not on board at first, right? Like I had all my own fears I had to deal with, and he had to be like patient with that, yet also inspire me too. You mm-hmm. know, so it's funny. I think I think as vision. So I'm not a visionary. He's a visionary. I'm very much a COO type. I'm a. Stri- I'm really surprised because I'm looking at all the accomplishments. <laughs> you do not seem <laughs> like someone that needs to be dragged along. <laughs> well, I did at first. I, then I got like addicted. Now he created a monster. Right, but. Um, so I think the job of the visionary, you know, we say you want to start the company, you want to be a CEO, you need to inspire your employees to follow you. But I really believe that the first person you should inspire or you have to inspire is your spouse mm-hmm. if you're married. Like right. you've got to like they've got to see your vision. So that took me a bit to see it. And then once I saw it, it was like, I believe we can do it. I believe you can do it. I think mm-hmm. we can do this together, you know. But it took me a minute. I had to deal with my own stuff and I had to talk about what I was afraid of and and how do I overcome that, you know? And I have my own personal baggage like we all do, you know? My parents actually were both entrepreneurs. And I'm, really? I'm the firstborn American in my family. My parents were both immigrants. and From where? Norway and Italy. And uh, they were like, no, you go get an education, right? So I was like, I don't wanna throw my education away. That you know, was my so, parents. Right? Yeah. So you have to deal with that. They, they just want you to go get educated and they don't want you to risk it. Mm-hmm. So we had all this like trash from everybody else. And although my parents are super supportive, they still have that, even though they don't mean to be. Mm-hmm. They're like, don't risk it. No, oh my gosh, do the safe thing. You know, They're looking out for your best interests. Yeah, yeah. Right. So um, what were your fears in starting? Losing it. Balance. Losing the business or losing, like, because your, your career was kind of fixed. Losing, like, money. Got it. That was really scary because we didn't have any margin. We had a ton of debt. Mm. So it's like, what if we take this little bit of margin we have and we lose it all? What if we make a big mistake? What if we get sued? Like, what if the roof, what if we don't do it right? And like, a, you know, a contractor comes back. I'm Sounds telling like conversations with my wife. Oh my gosh. I'm telling you, <laughs> I was more stressed dealing with that than dealing yeah. with people literally dying, bleeding to death at the hospital. Like yeah. contractors were more stressful to me than that. That's how bad it was. So you were, we were talking earlier, um, bantering before the, the show and you were mentioning like you were kind of nervous. It's like, well, no one's ever died on podcast right um but you've actually had to deal with that yeah in the hospital Mm -hmm. and with all that stress pressure Mm -hmm. dealing with contractors is more stressful yeah now now it's not but but then yes absolutely because it's unknown i I wasn't educated for that you know you're kind of learning as you're going that was different from what i was experienced before you read a book you go to a lecture you learn and then you apply it and for this it was like all at the same time so it took some adjusting for me you know, to get used to that. But then I, once you figure out that no one's going to die, mm-hmm. that the worst isn't going to happen, and you're like, okay, I can, I can, I can move with this. Yeah. So then you do, you get a handful of deals. Yep. Um, and in, in this situation, he was the visionary, you were the integrator. Mm-hmm. And then what was your first hire? Uh, lead manager. 
okay. answer the phone. That was a big pain point for us. So what happened was we started marketing and we were doing our own flips and I didn't know what wholesaling was. Like we read something about that on bigger pockets. We're like, we're not doing that. We're going to flip. But then we started marketing. We started getting deals that we couldn't close or our, our um, contractors were busy. So we're like, well, what do we do now? You know, like we can't let this, we can't make a promise to this homeowner and then not deliver. So we had some other investor friends that we met in the area and we wholesaled a deal. I think our first wholesale, we made like $8,000. And I was like, that was good. Let's do, let's do some more of that. Right. And then, so then the phone keeps ringing, right? And we keep marketing and I'm trying to answer the phone with like crying babies in the background. Like it was super stressful. So we hired that because it was the major stress point for us is how do we answer live? How do we deal with this? Um, so, so that's when Rain joined us and he's still with us actually. And when was that? 2016. Okay. So a lot of employee loyalty. Mm-hmm. So that's really good. Yeah. So he saw that pain point. Um, was it also because you guys are working full time still? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's just a lot of leads kind of falling through the cracks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So when did you guys scale your operation? Shortly after that first hire. Um, so I want to say the end of 2016, we really increased a, a ton of marketing spend. And we went, we did, I think, 11 deals in 2016. And then in 2017, we did, I want to say, more than 50. And then we kind of stuck at 50 up until last year, we did 200. Okay. That's a big jump. Big jump. What were the keys to a big jump like that? Because I think a lot of people are are stuck mm-hmm. even just you know a deal every other month or maybe mm-hmm. one or two deals a month like that's there's that window mm-hmm. and the, the biggest challenge i think in that pro, in that area is either your crm or the right people mm-hmm. so what were the biggest things that helped you jump from 50 to 200 addressing those problems right away like both of them They're, they were both huge problems for us um hiring is huge i i and this is kind of where like I became addicted to business, right? Because once I realized that I can do more with help, I did more. And more of my, like a whole another room in my brain opened up and I was like, oh, this interest, this little thing I had an idea about or wanted to have time to further develop, I could never do it. So it was like nagging in the back mm-hmm. of my brain. As soon as I released some of the tasks I had to do to somebody else and they did them well, like I was afraid. What if they, what if they ruin it? What if they drop the ball? What if blah, 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 all the what ifs. And when that didn't happen and it was okay, then I had the time to develop these other thoughts and then other things were born from them, mm. you know? So I felt like I could just do so much more. I could reach more homeowners. I could think about new marketing channels. You know, I could train more people, etc. So hiring was huge, 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 but I had to figure out what I needed first. And again, I didn't, we didn't have a playbook. I didn't know who to hire. I don't know what positions a company needed, you know? So we kind of just, bang some rocks together and try to figure out what the like what the pipeline that the lead comes in and the deal like how does it work right and then we joined some groups and some masterminds and, then we, and we felt okay now this is a thing like mm-hmm. there are people who are doing this so let's replicate some of the things that they are doing and we kind of had a plan a plan moving forward on how to hire and then a huge problem became data our crm was awful i couldn't i couldn't figure out things i couldn't predict anything and you know my personality profile now and like I'm a the COO type I wanted to be able to interpret data and then make a decision 
And I kept coming back to that as an issue. Like, I don't know what I should do next because I don't know what's happened. I don't understand why this lead didn't convert or how many leads I actually need to generate or how I should spend my money that I'm making on marketing. How do I just didn't know what to do. So we kept we kept looking for a solution for a CRM and there wasn't one. Uh, and then eventually I got really mad. Like, I, I'm not even, like I snapped. I get really angry sometimes. I'm a very passionate person, you know. At, at Zach, at the team, <laughs> at yourself. I just at everybody. I was so mad that there wasn't a solution for data mm-hmm. that I just made one myself. Got it. And then we launched it for our company. So when was that exactly? That was in 2019. Okay, and um, and it's in Salesforce. Yep. Which is not cheap. Nope. Generally speaking. Nope. So, uh, what kind of investment was that as far as time? You know, as far as hours goes, yep. and financial. Yeah. So you can either spend money or you can spend time, mm-hmm. right? Um, we were in a position where I didn't feel comfortable um, going forward with a quote that Salesforce developers gave us, which was like upper hundred thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and that was for phase one, right? So like, <laughs> you know, it's going to be five hundred by the time you're done with this thing. Yeah. So that's really what made me the, the most angry. I was like, what? How is it that's this much money? And mm-hmm. I'm so desperate for a solution. Um, so I, I decided to do it and I, I spent the next, after that decision was made and I like snapped on this Zoom call with like all these people and like it really, it really wasn't pretty. The next 200 hours, I just built Salesforce. I figured out how to code on it. I taught myself, I watched videos from like 2000 because all the new Salesforce training videos are several thousand dollars each. Mm-hmm. If you want to do like a developer course, you have mm-hmm. to take like six and they're all two to three thousand dollars. I'm like, this is like grad school. This is crazy. I'm not doing this. So I bought an old course and taught myself and then just messed with it for 200 hours and got it to a place where it was good enough that we could launch it for our business. Mm. So we, we launched and then I probably sent another 50 to 100 hours tweaking it and like making things a little better once it was live. And then it like coasted. It was awesome. The whole team like adapted to it really well. And I still I still tweak it here and there. I'm still trying stuff all the time. Yeah. Like we're building out like a project management side of it too now. But it was amazing. And and I and I didn't I I I spent 150 bucks a user to do it, yeah. but I didn't pay a developer. So that's crazy because it's not simple to just get in there and just start banging things out. No. And so you're the second person in a row. Uh, so because Darren was on the call show last week. Oh yeah. And he went in there and he's like, whatever, and he just kind of made it happen. Yeah. It's crazy. I guess if you know if you know what you want, you're willing to mm-hmm. uh, go. What's the word? go all out that's right to make it work yeah so you did all left main yourself mm-hmm. so that's kind of nuts yeah um let's take oh. a step back you mentioned um that you were um joined a couple of masterminds and that kind of helped yeah. you open your mind a little bit yeah uh what was the first mastermind you joined seven figure flipping got it justin williams was running at that point now it's bill allen mm-hmm. it's awesome a great group of people mm-hmm. and bigger pockets was a big part of that too and then i joined cg collective genius yeah which is awesome yeah um so like uh, Darren kind of shared with me, you know, like for a minute, you know, he was like the hot chick, right? Like everyone <laughs> loved Darren. And he's like, he kind of said to me kind of like, you know, joking. I was like, well, thanks a lot, Steve. Like I was like the cool kid. And now you're like, now you're the cool kid. <laughs> and now I'm sharing with him. I was like, well, it, maybe it was us for a little bit, but now it's Stephanie. <laughs> right. You're coming in with the CRM. And so, you know, one of the reasons why I never got into Salesforce, you know, because I recognize that it is the most powerful right there's a reason why it's the 800 pound gorilla in the industry exactly right and i did the infusionsoft thing and i've done some other things yeah but i always avoided salesforce Mm -hmm. because it's prohibitively expensive exactly and 
my wife is an actual admin, right? Like yeah. she's gone through the certification. Says, I don't know how many badges she's gotten, but she's got a lot of badges, yeah. right? Yeah. And so I know what they sell it for and what they pay for. I was like, mm-hmm. I will never do this. Right. Uh, then I was talking to Dan Bro, and he was like, well, you need to check out this left main thing or the Salesforce thing. I was like, yeah. no, I'm good. Yeah. Right. Cause I wasn't prepared to drop like 20,000. Mm-hmm. Right. To sign up. And then we were talking, it's like, no, there's no way. It's like, it's, like, it's five grand. It's like, there's no way. <laughs> there's no way. It's impossible. Yeah. And so, um, but then there was a thread that was started within the CG Facebook group. Yeah. And, um, and they were all talking about it. And then like, you know, Darren's like, you guys need to sign up for it. And then there are a couple other people. And, uh, I know I talked to, I had conversations with Phil Green. Mm-hmm. Because they were building out their own Salesforce. Yeah. I've had conversations with Scott Oots because they're building building out their own Salesforce. Yeah. And when they both said, "Ask ah, screw it, we're just going to go with Stephanie. It's like, I, they've told me personally how much they invested. I know. <laughs> right? I, I know. And they're like, we're scrapping that. We're going over. And so I was talking to Eric Guideson, who's uh, uh, Phil's right-hand man. Right. He's like, are you signing up for it? And my response, and this is, you know, a lot of stereotypes involved here. I was like, of course I sign up for it. You know, like if nothing else, like the Asian in me just loves a good deal. <laughs> I just love a good deal. So when I saw it was five thousand, like it was like a no brainer. Yeah, yeah. Right. So um, I'm really impressed that you did that on your own. I assumed that you're managing developers Mm-mm. this whole time. No. So um, the other thing I want to uh, give credit to, because and I, I don't know the exact words, uh, but you know, Audantic is auditing all our data. Yeah. Right. And so Ryan, who's our integrator, was on the call and he mentioned that you had the best conversion rate as far as you know the fewest pukers i guess <laughs> of everybody so yeah. to me i was like well Valdantic saying that then really glad we signed up for a crm that's really cool yeah. yeah um so you got your team you're doing 200 deals mm-hmm. a year in one market one market charlotte and what is your primary marketing platform for that well, we actually we have two primary online is is the is one num- the number one and we have a couple click Yep, pay per click. We also do some of the um, like need to sell my house fast, and some of the other p- people who are selling PPC mm-hmm. leads. Essentially, Facebook is huge. Yeah, um, and then we do um, some niche mailing, uh, really small lists, like a hundred letters a month, like very very small SEO uh, referral stuff. Um, deal with some wholesalers for new builds because we we're, we buy land and buy and, and build new um, spec homes. Oh, you do. Mm-hmm. So you're a developer as well. Yeah. Wow. We do wholesale and we new build. What does it take to qualify to be on the hundred letters a month list? <laughs> you have to have gotten an auction date on your house. Okay. So not not pre foreclosure, but foreclosure that you're assigned an auction date. All right. So this is happening. It's not like hey, you default. Hey, get your stuff together. Right. It's like hey, by the way, we're taking your house. Yep. So we open up that line like, hey, hey, Mr. Seller, this is Stephanie with Better Path Homes. I, I got a notice across my desk here that it looks like the bank is trying to take your house. Mm-hmm. What's going on here? You know, this is something that we can help you with potentially. That way you can get your, you don't lose your equity. Right. And people are like, oh yeah, I know. I just had my, I just had my, my, my court date with the judge. I just gave me a date. I'm like, yeah, it looks like it's in 30 days. Is that how fast it is over there? Mm-hmm. After they get assigned that date. So it can, it can be years up until they get to that point. Mm-hmm. I'm always alarmed by how long people can go without paying. It's crazy. <laughs> and then, of course, like I sweat it, right? I want to be paying everything on time. And then people like don't pay their mortgage for two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so it can be a long time before they physically get to the courthouse and get assigned a date. But when they get assigned a date, it's always almost always 30 days later. COVID, COVID made it a little bit tricky, but it's generally 30 days later. Yeah, it's fascinating because we're over here for the most part now, right? Not during the crisis many years ago but for the most part now if you're late three months you're getting foreclosed on yeah and 
it's in three months. Yeah. Right. Um, and for us, the greatest challenge is for the first 90 days, for the first 60 out of those 90 days, they're like, I got time, I've got time, I've got time. Right, exactly. Right. And by that time, they've been harassed nonstop. Mm-hmm. So I think in some ways it's kind of, you know, a plus as an investor. Like once that date hits, you got 30 days. Exactly. And they, and they know it's real. And even still, though, people will be in denial. Oh, yeah. no, I, yeah. So what are you doing to get to, to get them out of that denial? We, we just get to them in person or we get them with a sales conversation. We just dig in a little bit deeper mm-hmm. and we get them to start pulling out some paperwork and starting to look at numbers. And I'll tell you, when you start getting people to open up their mail and look at the, what it says, then they're like, oh, it's real. I can't tell you how many times sellers just don't even open their mail anymore from mm-hmm. the bank or from the courthouse even. Well, they're just it's better to not know. Exactly. <laughs> at least they think it is. Right. So if you can get them to start talking about it and start opening up their mail, they mm-hmm. generally come around. And they're like, oh, crap. I so really... like you're on the phone with them? It's like, hey, why don't you go open up your yeah. mailbox? Or we do this in person. Got it. Be like, okay, this is really important. I want to make sure we don't miss anything. Where's that letter you got from the county clerk's office? Mm. So you got a bit it. of the visual. They and you got a bit to. of the, the kinesthetic. They're touching it. They can hold yep. this notice. And it says there how much is past due and how much they need to, to, to pay to catch it up. And it's a big number. Yeah. You know, it's like. Well, if it takes two years to get to that point. Right. It depends on how long it's been. But, I mean, it can be 10, 15 or maybe yeah. five even, and people can't come up with that, you know? What um What is the, so over here in Arizona, right? If someone gets foreclosed on, there's a excess proceeds and mm-hmm. that's supposed to go to the homeowner. The lawyer is gonna take their money out of that, but yep, supposed to go there. Is it different in Carolina? Because I see a lot of people talking about excess proceeds programs. Yes. Does it not just automatically go to the homeowner in Carolina? It doesn't, you have to apply for it. You have to essentially, not sue for it, but you have to, you have to submit a complaint to get that proceeds back. So you have, that means you have to monitor the situation, know that there was excess proceeds, and then apply for it. Interesting. Yeah, that's very different than we got going on over here. Yeah. As okay. far as I know, anyway. So 200 deals a year. What does your organization look like right now? Uh, we have, let's see, I think 12 employees. We have a CEO, who's my husband, a COO, who is Matt. I hired myself out of that position in 2020, which is very exciting. That's a big goal. Yeah, congratulations. So I don't sit in any seats over there anymore. Well, technically, I'm in the technology officer seat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have a lead intake team, an acquisition team, a transaction coordination, dispositions, finance, and marketing. Got it. And every department is about two people deep. Depends. So stepping out of the COO role, mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of like a lot of our dreams, right? Like we yeah. start this to have time freedom and financial freedom. Yeah. But then you get into it, and it's a lot harder yeah. than they make it look on social media. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you were able to step out of it. What were the things you had to do to be able to step out of it? Well, first, I, we had to fully develop the universe that this was going to be. And and I think that's something that we kind of take for granted as entrepreneurs is that people aren't – normal people don't think like that. Like mm-hmm. you can kind of imagine which world you're in, and you're like, yeah, just do it. It's in the, You're in this world. But people who enter your company, they don't know where you want to go. So having a really clear vision and then strategy to execute on that vision is really important. And then putting those people, putting at least those pieces into place, like your your marketing channels, your hires, at least defining what a department is or de- job descriptions are, you kind of have to materialize this company first mm-hmm. and really articulate where it is that you want this thing to go. And then hire people that are appropriate for those seats that do better than you would have done in it. And then you have to coach them along to do that. Like, you can't just hire and be like, peace out. Like, you have to be there. That's the dream. I know, right? But it doesn't work that way because everything crumples. 
Um, so you have to be there to organize it and then to make sure that there's accountability and that the, the, the people you hire have leadership skills so they can lead other people mm-hmm. and that they can kind of pass, you know, you can pass the baton and they can carry it. So that, that takes some time and that's really hard to articulate. But putting together what you want, like your vision planning and then your strategy mm-hmm. is really important. And then you have to find the right person to take over your seat. Um, so for us, Matt, our COO, was our project manager department chair. So he ran all of our rehabs, all of our new builds, and he had people underneath him. So we chose him because we, we trusted him. We've worked with him for years. He was actually our agent before we ever employed him directly. And um, he did a really good job of managing that department and affecting the bottom line, which is what we need as a COO. COO. Right. Like, you got to show me you can, you can move the bottom line number mm-hmm. and you can keep it together. So he, he, over the course of a year or so, we saw him develop out that, that um, department himself improve improve numbers improve efficiencies and he wanted to put his hat in the ring for the coo so i was like let's interview him very cool yep so then we hired him and then i trained him for a year and then i left in 2020 so you're not involved in the day-to-day Mm-mm. but nick still is zach yes. zach zach still is yep so how much and in, how involved is he on the day-to-day so he he runs the acquisition department right now on top of being the CEO. Mm-hmm. So he kind of it's, he's kind of vacillated there a little bit. The acquisition department will be good, and then it'll require more more attention. It's just like you know, it's funny that's the, that's our department that definitely has had the most churn. Mm-hmm. But now people that are in there, the average um, the average length that people have been us with us there is about a year, mm-hmm. which is a long time. For, for most, sales, yeah, for sales it's pretty good. A little, I think it's just about a year is the average between all those people. So he just hired somebody that I think can ascend into the department chair role. Awesome, uh, and then he can be more just in the CEO seat. But that's the one seat that he gets pulled into quite a bit. It's tough. That's the managing salespeople. Um, was it? I was, I was on the call yesterday, and I was with uh, Eli Fisher and Chris uh, Richter for right? yeah, yeah. the uh, authentic, the the funnel welder challenge. Yeah, and. Um, Chris was asking me, like, what was the most difficult thing? It's like, it's always, it's been the same in every company. It's people. Yeah. It's always the people is the hardest thing. And then yeah. within that subset, the salespeople. I know. Right? They're, they're, we call them diva butterflies. <laughs> and we love them, but they're diva butterflies. <laughs> no detail. Where am I going? Where's the deal? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you stepped out of that. And mm-hmm. then um, you joined Gary Harper. Or what was the yeah. next step? Yeah. So that's funny. So I met Gary in 2000. 18 when he helped us merge so we merged with a third partner in 2018 um jeff johnson who's awesome mm-hmm. like all the core values are aligned the vision is aligned he's awesome and so we met gary then to help us make sure we were we merged appropriately so like, hey we really like each other let's not mess this up mm-hmm. and uh he helped us with just like vision planning too now that we have two we had really had two visionaries come in and like how do we do that so he taught me a lot about systems and processes like i thought i had some understanding mm-hmm. and I was like whoa a non-biased person coming in and like telling you some of the stuff was invaluable so I met him then we became really good friends and the goal at that point was like Gary I want to I need to retire I want I need to be in the owner's box retire. I can't retire right it's a farce right I'm too young to retire yeah but that was the goal um I was like I need to be in the owner's box I you know I don't want to leave medicine I was still working full-time until really recently about a year and a half ago is when I went, I went part-time um, so I was like, I, I can't give up medicine. What do I do? And I need to get out of the seat. So we did. So we accomplished that in January 2020. Mm-hmm. We hired Matt. That was like his first time. We started that the year of 2020. What a great year to start as a new yeah. COO, right? Right. 
uh, <laughs> it turns out it was fine. But anyway, so when I when I that happened and we accomplished it, he's like, well, what what are you gonna do now? You just gonna go eat bonbons? Do you want to come like hang out with me? And I was like, well, what do you want me to do? And he's like, well, what if you come in and you help other COOs? And what if we talk? What if you get to be like a strategist with other mm. companies and kind of, you know, and help us out? And I was like, that sounds fun. Yeah. So so then I started working with them. Yeah, and then simultaneously launched Left Main. <laughs> so, what does that structure look like? I mean, is this Gary's baby, and like you're just kind of talking to people, or you're you're selling people into the program? Like, what is your responsibility? Yeah, within so, uh, Sharper. I don't know which one is it. Sharper Business. There you go. So I'm 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 the Chief Growth Officer. Okay. So what that means is I analyze people who are interested in, in hiring a business coach, and make sure that we can help them grow. Right, like, do you are you established enough, or do you have enough of at least a foundation that we can help you? Yeah. And okay, what do you need to grow? Uh, I'm. I feel like if there's something I'm good at, I'm good at growth. Right. Like, if you give me an idea, I can do something with it. Um. But I need I need that vision too. You know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I look at those those potential clients and make sure there's something that we can do here to add value. And then I then after that, so essentially it's kind of like a sales position, but I don't. It doesn't really feel that way, honestly. No, you didn't sell me. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't feel that way. No, I jumped when I when I had that call with you. I was like, "This is what I want to do." You're like, yeah. Okay, we can do that. Yeah, yeah, basically, right? Um, but I think probably the people that are scheduling that call are already drivers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then sometimes sometimes we're not the right fit, or sometimes power days aren't the right way to start. Maybe we need to start here first and then grow to that. So there's a lot. I mean, Sharper does a lot of different things. So yeah. I just try to direct them in the right place if we're the right fit. And then besides that, I do COO training, and I run people's quarterly meetings and do some annual planning, and I do strategy sessions with companies, and kind of handpicked, you know. I only do a little bit of that mm-hmm. um, because I kind of can, right? You know, and it's cool because then I get to pick, I get to work with people I have chemistry with, and I think that's been really important too. How much time commitment is that? Um, probably like five to five hours a week. Got it. Depends. If I'm running a quarterly meeting, like, you know, the change of quarters, I'll do two or three quarterlies in, in that week span just because it's a new quarter. But that's really out of the ordinary. Got it. Yeah. And then Left Main. Mm-hmm. Did you know Left Main was going to do what is done? No. Okay. What was your initial projection for Left Main? So, first of all, that was never even on the horizon. Um, my Salesforce account manager told mm-hmm. me to do it. You know, when I showed them what I built, she was like, this is something. And I was like, no, it's not. It's mm-hmm. okay. She's like, no, this is something. You need to do something with this. She's like, we don't have anything for the real estate industry that's good on mm-hmm. Salesforce, like at all. Like that whole vertical is a big empty hole. And she said, and she said that um, constantly Salesforce exec- executives are talking about the real estate space on Salesforce and how it's underserved. So she's like, you, you, you need to do something. I'm like, well, what does that mean? You know, I don't know what that means. She's like, oh, it's like an app, just like iTunes. You make an app. Um, and we test it, we try to break it, and if you pass, and you can launch and you can sell it. So I was like, well, uh, okay, let me think about that. So I thought about it. I talked to Zach. Zach's like, I don't think you should do that. <laughs> He's like, I don't think you're going to make any money at all. I think that it's going to be way too much work, and it's people are pains in the butts, and you're and it's not gonna it's not gonna be worth it. That last part, or the second to last part, <laughs> people are pains in the butt is definitely true. Yeah, and you know, he's like, how many people are going to switch your CRM? Like, how you know? So, and I, I took that to heart. I was like, I, I want to make sure I do this right because I'm not here to then, you know, kill myself again. I just killed myself and got out of that, you mm-hmm. know. And for me, 
I'm a workhorse. Like I will work, right? Like that's, but I will hurt myself. Mm. So I need. So he's great because he protects me from that too. Because when I get an idea in my head, I, I can't stop. So what I decided to do was to go through the whole app process because I didn't even know if I would pass. I coded this thing myself. I was like, let me see if it even passes their security review. And I'll go through the steps and I'll go through the contract thing. So I did. It passed. It was awesome. It launched in January 2020, right after New Year's, like literally that next year, the next day after New Year's, whatever the next business day was. And then I told my some of my friends about it. I was like, this is what I'm cooking. They saw my Salesforce and they're like, yeah, this is cool. I want to try it. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, let's try it. I'm going to, I'll, I'll put it in your org and let's do it. So I did, I did like a little beta test with two people and they flipped out. Mm-hmm. They loved it. And I was like, oh, you like it? They're like, yeah, no, this is really cool. And I was like, okay, well maybe we should let, maybe we should let other people try it. And then they kind of told people and there was this kind of this organic thing. And it didn't really hit me until like Q3, Q4 last year mm-hmm. when they, when I had, I don't know, I probably had like 20 businesses on there and they were all like, this is really great. This has really helped me. They've all felt, they all had growth. They all felt like they had better data clarity. They felt like it really impacted their business. I'm like, this is really awesome. Like, are you advertising this? I was like, well, no. Like, you, why aren't you advertising this? And I don't know why I was scared, but I cared so much. I care so much. I'm like, this is like my baby. Mm. If, what if someone says my baby's ugly? You know, I, <laughs> I can't, I don't know if I can handle it, you know? But um, thankfully, when you're around the right people, they encourage you, mm-hmm. right? And and I'm very grateful for a really awesome network. So I was taught, we had this accountability group and I was, you know, we did this weekly thing and everyone on that call, there was five other people and they're like, you're acting dumb. You need to talk about it. So this was September. So I was like, okay, fine. I'm going to do it. I'm going to launch it. I'm going to do it. Like bump, pump myself up. I'm going to do it. And I started uh, marketing it in October 2020. And then it literally like exploded. Yeah. It caught fire. Absolutely did. And it, I mean, I'm so humbled by it. And then I'm so excited at the prospect of helping the industry. Mm-hmm. And like after I see, after I, I've seen what's happened now, like I'm coming for the whole thing. Right. Like the whole industry. I'm, I'm coming for like all of real estate investment mm-hmm. and like I know people are on Podio like I have a thing for like against Podio like it almost broke my soul and I, what, I don't <laughs> what is your thing against Podio I just think it's it's not serving our industry the way it should mm-hmm. right I think that the tools that we have out there right now available to us as real estate investors who are trying to run multi-million dollar businesses the tools that we're using are embarrassing it's pretty strong words I know What's embarrassing about them? It's embarrassing because they're clunky. They don't integrate well. They don't automate well. And it doesn't give us the clarity and the data access that we need in an easy way that we're able to make decisions, right? Like I want to be able to look at my CRM and have it help me instead of fight with it. Yeah. I want to pull a report up and know what's happened and then be like, okay, what's this percent conversion? Like maybe I turn this dial, turn that dial. It's supposed to give me something. It's not mm. just me inputting leads into, right? And then like trying to sort through and find them. It's supposed to make me better. It's supposed to make our, our employees better. And it's supposed to make me a better executive. So the ones that are, I think, that are out there in the industry right now are just really, they're difficult to do that. Yeah. But I do, you know, I will say, I will take a little step back and say that there are people who are ready, who need that, right? There's a there's a but for every seat. When, mm-hmm. when you're first starting and you need something other than a post-it note, you got to start somewhere. So that I have no qualms with that. But I think if you want to scale, there's nothing in there for us. Yeah, well, especially at this price point. Um, yeah. I mean, like I said, I think I've said this to you multiple times, and I'm sure you've heard this actually from a bunch of other mm-hmm. people. 
your price too low. <laughs> I know, but I'm doing that on purpose. Yeah. So what's that purpose? Because I want the industry. Yeah. I want the, I I am I'm also I think that the way Salesforce I mean they're they're a huge gorilla, right? Like mm-hmm. and, and like they're the host of my app, so you can't be you can't be too negative about it. But they've they've been too aggressive in my opinion with price. Mm-hmm. That they've they've outpriced our industry, just like you said. So they've the way the developers, a traditional developer has approached our industry, I think has failed us. Yeah. So what I really wanted to do was bring something that's affordable out to our industry so that people can actually use it and grow their business. And the idea here is a volume play for me. Like I'm not, I don't make money until I have a thousand users. Yeah. Right? Like you make a little bit, but I don't take a salary until that happens. So it's a it's a long game for me. I'm almost there. I'm well over halfway there. Um which is awesome to have that happen so quickly, but um, that's the play. The play here is like all time. Like I want, I want the, I want the lot. Yeah. Right. I don't want to just sell three, four, and be like, oh, that was fun. I really want to help. I want to impact the industry. Um, so you know, we're talking about Salesforce and overpricing. Uh, yeah. I have a friend, very successful, super successful, and she was looking at you know building out this project. Yeah. You know, and the quote came back, and she's successful, and she's got the money. She can afford it. Yeah. Right. But she, the quote came back it was 150k. Yeah. For phase one. Yeah. And she was looking, I was like, that doesn't make any sense. So she's like, just dumped it on my wife's plate. Like, here you go. Yeah. You're doing it. Right. Because it was just so cost prohibitive. Right. And so, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The the industry or the, the 800 pound gorilla has a very interesting pricing strategy. Yeah. It's, it's tough to, to for someone to get into. And I mean, I did the infusion soft thing and that was, I think as, as like a marketer or whatever, like there are people that it makes sense, mm-hmm. but very few people have the margins to justify spending that on a CRM. Exactly. And it's been this thing like, oh, you only use Salesforce if you're a big company. Mm-hmm. No. Well, our industry is 10 people or less. In general, the average real estate investment company is less than 10 employees. Mm-hmm. But we're doing, you know, millions of dollars a year, right? But right. what we can't, we so you don't have to be a big company anymore. That's yeah. the idea. Like, let's serve the industry. And if you don't use Left Main, I hope that it inspires all the other platforms out there to be better. Yeah. You know, rising, rising tide, right? Right. Absolutely. So, so I'm hoping, of course, I hope everybody uses Left Main, but I really want to see better tools for us in our industry. Yeah. And then someone here was asking about uh, uh, Plecto, and this is um, oh, the yeah. thing I really like Yeah. is that it already has an interface. Yeah. You don't need a Plecto. You don't need a Podio to go into Plecto. Salesforce, and your, your exactly. Salesforce is already there. Exactly. So uh, let's change the topic here. Yeah. Uh, you're a nurse practitioner. Yes. Still. Yes. What is wrong with you? <laughs> I know everyone asks me this all the time. You're gonna make me blush. Um, this is a big part of who I am mm-hmm. and um, what I think I'm supposed to do. And I, I struggle a lot with this. What do, what am I supposed to do? What what do I do with my skills? What does God want me to do with my skills? What what am I here for? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and it always comes back to me feeling like I'm supposed to still do it. And I don't really have a good reason other than that. Other than that, I just feel like I'm supposed to. Um, it's a burden, and sometimes, you know, like I'm tired, right? When mm-hmm. I when I have my my four days in a row that I'm on call for four days and rounding for four days, and you know, I don't sleep for 72 hours. I'm like, what the hell am I doing? I, yeah. that's, that's the worst return on my time invested, by the way. Like, I make a fraction of what I make at the hospital is what I make in everything else. Like, it's literally the worst return on investment. But it, there's something else there, mm-hmm. you know, and things really changed as far as my perspective when I show up there at the hospital and I'm taking care of people, my perspective changed when I didn't have to be there anymore. I'm like, I want to be here, right? Like Mm -hmm. I'm choosing to be here 
and then it becomes so much more rewarding. It was already rewarding, but then there's like an extra depth to it Mm -hmm. where you feel like what you're doing is really meaningful. It's not charity, but in a way it's, it's charitable with your time. Yeah. Right. And it's, I I see this, uh, I think it's Scott Myers, right? I mean, they go down to uh, Central America or South America Mm -hmm. and they're building houses. Yeah. Right. And they're just flying out there. Mm -hmm. And I think spending is like a week building houses in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And I think if, if that's your contribution, if you feel like it's uh, fulfilling, mm-hmm. then I think you should keep doing it, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so long as it's fulfilling. It is. It's extremely fulfilling. Yeah. I love being there. I love my patients. I love my practice. And it, I just, I get I get my cup filled when I'm there. And it's it's it sounds like kind of dumb to say, but it's actually relaxing. <laughs> it seems silly, but like, you know what? To show up and like do your job and mm-hmm. instead of showing up to create the job, mm-hmm. it's totally different. Like, it feels good sometimes just like, I'm here to do my thing. And, like, I don't have to worry about, like, the big picture. I don't have to worry about carrying the weight of everyone's problems on me right now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to control what I can control. Science is fun. Science is predictable. I'm like, hey, if I do this, this happens. Yes. Yeah. That's logical. That's nice. I can say for me, I don't, um, I, don't, I don't do this a lot, but, you know, playing sports. Yeah. Right? Like, you're just in the moment. You're yeah. present. There's no, yeah. there's no stress. It's like, what did this person say? Uh, how do we manage this? This mm-hmm. person is doing a challenge. You know, there's there's no people element. There's no uh, thinking in the future. There's no um, how am I paying that bill? Like there's just literally yeah. no other noise except it's just you in your environment. So right. you're feeling like that's kind of. That's exactly it. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's, it's nice. therapeutic. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So then I keep I keep showing up. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see if we had any other questions here. Uh, Sean Foster. Says he truly hates his podio. Sean, we've talked about this. <laughs> it's the reason why we made the switch. Um, and Haim says you're awesome. So I guess you Hi, know Haim. I do. Hey, Haim. Haim's a fantastic, fantastic human being. He is. He's one of my favorite human beings. He's in Israel right now, right? Yeah. Like, I what time is it over there right now? I don't think he has a choice, though. <laughs> um, all right. So we kind of touched on it a little bit. But um, let's see. Um, well, let me answer Raylan's question first. Raylan, we made the switch to Salesforce some time ago. So... Um, we're, we've, that's, that's already happened. Uh, Ben wants to know, all right, so specifically in your opinion, why is Salesforce better important? I know you kind of talked about like, you got the dashboard, you kind of see it high level. You already know what's going on. Yeah. Um, but you know, two or three like big things, why someone that's using Podio that can afford to make the leap, right? Not if you're still grinding, but if you can afford to make the leap, why should someone make the jump? So the platform stability, number one, this is a, this was a big driver for me. The platform itself and the way Salesforce is coded and built on the sales cloud is incredibly stable. It doesn't go down and it's constantly being backed up. So it's very, very stable for all users, no matter where you are in the world. It's in fact, it's made for that, right? Um, so that was a huge reason for me because my, my Podio went down, right? That's kind of like what this whole cascade happened is Podio went down. That's and how like, you snapped on Zoom. This was Oh, that's why I went to sell. I was like, what's the number one CRM in the world? I don't even care anymore. What is it? Because Pody went down, and I was like, my hands were tied for three days, mm-hmm. and I didn't have any backup. It was just a nightmare. I think um, there was like a nationwide um, real estate investor panic. Right? When Remember that, when that happened? Yeah, it was all over the Facebook groups. I don't even know how much how many how much money I lost. Yeah. Uh, who even knows at this point? But the yeah. phone couldn't. It was just it was horrific. So stability was a really really big thing for me, and then I wanted to be able to create something without limitation. 
And Salesforce is really set up that way. If you can think about it, it can be done. It can be integrated with, like everything plays in the sandbox with Podio. You don't have to have, you know, some comp- complex globally flow freaking, you know, Jerry rigged integration. Like it just does. It plays directly with it. Um, and you can build essentially anything you can imagine on it. So I really, really like that versatility that it has. And then on top of that, it can handle big data. So it can grow with you forever. So I think you hit your 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 max at 1 million records per object. So like we have a lead object, for example. If you have a million records in there, million leads, now you have to buy like an, a, like an expansion pack, right? Mm-hmm. Like you do on Google Drive if you like, you get another terabyte. Which email is too full, yeah. Exactly, right. So it can handle a lot of data and then it can process that data pretty quickly. So you can put all your stuff in there and then essentially extrapolate it into really, really cool reports and like cross examine different scenarios. So like you can cross over, like for example, we have a QuickBooks integration. I can directly marry that QuickBooks integration in. I can tell you like live minute to minute how much that lead cost me to how much that opportunity, that appointment, that deal cost me. So when you take an, when you take an integration in, you can like weave it into your actual org so you can get all that data out and, mm-hmm. and, and the reports are nice enough that like you can make it so it means something. So it's not like a spreadsheet or you're scrolling down or that you've like somehow parsed over and it's accurate because it's in the CRM. You don't have to go to Plecto. You don't have to go to your spreadsheet on Google. Right. So it, it like, it makes the ability of taking complex data and reporting it out in a way that's meaningful. So those are my top three. I have a lot, I have a lot of other ones, but those are my big ones. Yeah. Let's see. Guys, please ask, please ask your questions. Uh, Zach wants to know why you're so awesome. Um, <laughs> Is that my husband, Zach? Mm-hmm. Hi. <laughs> um, so, friendly investors, how much no do you... No one wants s- to know about, like, bicuspid aortic valves or anything uh, like no, that? No, not, not I guess one. not. Okay. Uh, so, uh, Friendly Investors wants to know how much is your CRM and how can they use it? Yeah. So, it's a one-time $5,000 site licensing fee. So, you get Enterprise Edition of Salesforce with Left Main embedded in. That's the turnkey solution. No development needed. You do need to do your integrations. Like, if you have Facebook ads and you have, you know, Call Rail, we do some integrations for you. Um, or you can pick which ones you want. But that's the, that's the one-time fee. And then it's $50 a user a month. Mm-hmm. Which is huge. I don't even get that deal. I'm paying $150 a user because I'm doing like my normal Salesforce deal. But that's what it is. 50 bucks a user a month after that initial fee. And that's enterprise, meaning we can go back and modify however we want. Anything you want to do? Uh, so what if you're making changes to yours? Does that make yeah. changes to all of them? So we we do push upgrades, right? Mm-hmm. So we always, I'm always cooking something. I've got, I'm barely scratching the surface of the stuff that I want to roll out. But when we have an upgrade... Um, we we announce to all of our clients, hey, this update's available. This is what's in it. Do you want it? Mm-hmm. And we let people opt in so we don't force people to get it. And the reason for that is you may have done some custom work. And, you know, you maybe this is duplicative or maybe it interfa- interferes with what you did. So if you if you if that's your scenario, you're like, oh, hey, I did this on this object. Is that going to affect it? We can test it first in your little sandbox and then push it to, to production. But you are in control of your org completely. So once Got you it. buy it, like that is yours. We don't have any access to it unless you allow us to have access to it. So we always ask permission, and then you have to grant us access to push the update through. So let's say I skip this update, but I like the following update. I have to accept the previous updates. Then. Not necessarily. Then you have like a subset. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, that's got to take a lot of time. It does. Yeah. And now I have a whole team. Now it's not just me anymore. Got it. Yeah. So you have you have a team behind you. Now I managing do. Managing all this. 
Yep. I have Got a it. development team of five. We have account managers. We have integration specialists. We have tier one support and tier two support. Wow. Yeah. So you're 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 an up and running, full blown mm-hmm. SaaS. Yeah. Awesome. That's yeah. very cool. Um, what is an example of a report that you would run to help a user make more money per month? Oh my gosh. Okay. So I love starting with um, with quarterly marketing reports and. I also like to look at the time of your pipeline. Those are probably my favorite. Oh, gosh, I have so many. I like that one. But I, And I also like we have a pipeline manager so I can see what every rep is doing. Like mm-hmm. every click a rep does, I can see in all the all the, all the the um, records that they're managing. So I can look at my industry and my company, excuse me, and see how many of my reps ha- are in negotiation with homeowners. So I'll start with that one real quick because I've got so many I like. This is my favorite part. Um, so if I can see the deals that my reps are negotiating with, those are my highest value items in the entire CRM. Those are people who we've made an offer to offer to, right? And they have, they haven't accepted it yet, but they also haven't told you to go pound sand, right? So of course the ones that sign right away, beautiful. We get those, we monetize those, but what about the people we made an offer for that didn't accept right away? If those are, in my opinion, the highest value. So I want it to be super easy to pull that data out and monitor that. How long does it take each one of my rep to close that deal, mm-hmm. right? If you don't get it on the first time, like how long are you negotiating with people? And then it gives us an opportunity to lead them. How? Like, what are the objections? What are the op- like? How do we overcome this? What are the numbers? And I can pull them out. At any given time, there's probably six in my company that are being in, nego- in negotiation at any given time. Not a lot, but I want to find that without scrolling through anything. I want to open up my CRM and see which ones are in negotiation right now, and then I can take action. And I can also predict with that information. So, you know, for example, our goal is to have five contracts a week. And we pretty often, we, most of the time we hit that. But if I'm midweek and I don't see numbers in my CRM that are that are telling me I'm going to hit my goal, I wanna take some action against that. And that negotiation one tends to be a big one because if I don't see active negotiations, I know there's not going to be a deal coming, mm-hmm. you know. And then I can also see, hey, how many appointments are set just by opening it. So I can make predictions, which changes how how you how you run because you move away from just playing defense to now playing offense. All right, it's the predictive abilities. Yeah. Um, if you can predict, then you can be like, oh, not on track. Make do something. Not a marathon pace. I got to do something different. And you're monitoring this mm-hmm. list of people. And you're coaching your team. Yeah. You don't have someone else whose sole job is to. Oh well, my the acquisition department chair is the one who coaches, right? Like every every department has their coach, but we can pull it up and see it. So I probably spend two minutes a day reviewing my company. Yeah, I'm asking this question because for me, I'm I'm considering. We're strongly considering uh, creating a role within our operation whose sole job is to look at deals that didn't close. Mm -hmm. Right, like opportunities. QAQI, yeah. Yeah, opportunity didn't close. Yeah. And their job is just call them. You know, apologize for you know not doing a good job. Yeah. Right. Obviously, we screw something up because we didn't buy your house. Yeah. And then bringing in to uh, either bring across the finish line as a cash offer or a creative deal. Huge. That's a huge deal. Or a listing opportunity. Yeah. 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 So So. being able to make being able to change to offense is huge. And then marketing is the other other thing that I feel like makes will make you more money by knowing those numbers. I can't even tell you like how much money we probably wasted. We used to spend seventy thousand dollars a month on marketing, set a month on marketing, right? I'm spending about twenty five now, mm-hmm. and I'm doing literally triple the amount of deals I did when I was spending seventy, and that's because we spent so much money just burnt. We just burnt money because we sucked at managing leads. 
Like when leads came in the system, we were like, what? I don't know. They didn't pick up the first time. So when you can track your marketing down to the the minute with like how long did it take you to contact that lead, right? Did you even contact that person? And how long did it take you to convert it even to a qualified lead? You can look at that marketing metrics per lead source and per person. That helps you make a lot more money because now you're going to spend appropriately, mm-hmm. right? If you find that your marketing source, they don't pick up, they t- that takes you 30 times to attempt the contact, takes you on average 1,500 minutes to, for them to pick up the phone. Maybe you're going to spend more money on the people that you know bring you leads that pick up in 20 minutes or the average yeah. time to contact is 20. And contact, I don't mean action. I mean like physical conversation. So we look at that and we look at it across all the different stages of your of the lead, like the lead itself, the qualified lead, which, which you call opportunity, the appointment, and then the deal, and all the submetrics there, you know, like the time to contact and the contacted yes or no percentage, et cetera. So I guarantee if you start looking at your numbers like that, you'll make more money because you'll spend less. Right. Oh, that's that's huge. Um, and Darren Dammy says you guys are the gold standard, so that's that's huge. Hey, Darren. Um, and then uh, Ryan Williams, demo, I posted a link uh, here. It is an affiliate link, you know, full disclosure, but I posted a link there. You guys can schedule uh, a, a, uh, a demo there. Oh, awesome. Um, so let's see. Well, I've got a lot of comments up here. People love Salesforce. Uh, <laughs> Rita Chorfi says the best thing was switching to Salesforce. Oh, yay. Uh, is there a phone service? Do you use 360 SMS? I do. I use 360. We actually recently brought them in-house. So I've kind of, I, this is interesting. This was, this, this did surprise me. Initially, I thought that people would be married to their phone system. Like, you know, like you go like hard into call rail and you have like a hundred different numbers and like the thought of transitioning that is scary. So initially, so Left Main, the $5,000 package does not have a direct integration with a phone. You can bring your own vendor, mm-hmm. choose whoever you want and we will help you integrate it. Um, but then honestly, I kind of looked for the be- a better option. Call- we used CallRail before, we used Cloud Call before, and I really wanted a Salesforce native program that I could control. So we went with 360 SMS. They have a dialer, a text messaging platform, which does automations, drip campaigns, the whole deal, and RVMs, RVM automation too. And not RVM like cold RVM, RVM like, hey, I just saw you opened up your contract I sent you. Sometimes it's easier to go over it over the phone, call me back. Like that kind of RVM drop. Yeah. Like we're talking next level, right? Um, so they do all of that and we were able to program it for my company. So then people started, you know, expressing interest in that, like, well, can I just have what you did? So then, I mean, I brought 360 in house. So now you can, you can essentially buy that turnkey phone solution as alongside of left main, if you Mm -hmm. want to. And then we deliver everything that's already pre-built on that phone side. You do have to decide if you want to port your numbers over or if you want to buy new, that's the only decision you have to make. Got it. Cool. Um, control what you can control is the bottom line, right? That's the key. So um, we started, right? Zach had to drag you along. <laughs> Maybe kicking and screaming, I don't know. A little bit. Um, and you said that you're not a visionary, <laughs> but you're leading all these different initiatives. So how do you align that? <laughs> yeah, so I definitely have some drive, I will admit to that. Um, and I I have some ideas, I, but that's not primarily who I am, right? Like I. I need to get I need to get started, and and I credit Zach to a lot of that. I kind of saw his vision and what he wanted to do, and where we wanted to go with this company, and then I got really inspired by other people trying to start start businesses. That really where I started was how to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. So I didn't create the problem, but I will find a way to fix it. And 
that's kind of, I think, what my superpower is in the end is like, I eat problems for breakfast. <laughs> and that, and I, so on those hard days, I have to tell myself that, like, I will fix that problem. I will find a way to fix it. And how I fix it is sometimes by developing these tools, right? Right. But for, I don't see that the same way as vision. I see that as like, I'm going to fix that problem. I'm done dealing with this problem. Right. Well, and I think that's really on, on the real estate side, why we get paid what we get paid. Exactly. We're solving major problems. Yeah. So you're doing over here, you're solving a problem. If you're the best at solving the problem, you get rewarded for it. Exactly. Uh, so uh, going back to your market, what is your average fee right now? 15 to 17 wholesale okay. fee. Um, I think, what's your do you like? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, is your, what is your why? What is your passion? My passion is impact. I want everything I do to make a difference on every single level with my family in like showing my kids what they can do, showing my, you know, my future kids, what they can, my future grandchildren, what they can do. My patients, I want to impact their lives. I want to impact our industry. I want to help homeowners. I want to give back. Like I want everything I do at every single level to have an impact on somebody else in a positive direction. And what's your biggest struggle right now? Time. <laughs> There's just not enough. I like, I like I said before. It might be because of how many seats you're in. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> I know. No more companies, I promise. Um, I've made that promise before. Yeah. Yeah, I think for real though this time. <laughs> you know what Gary said to me? What? Um, because he came in here in December and he kind of did this whole thing with my organization, mm -hmm. and there was some frustration within my organization. Yeah. Right? Can you believe it? Like my people were unhappy. What? Yeah. And so uh, what happened was I got all these different people running the companies, and they're frustrated mm -hmm. with my managing, right? And so like there has been kind of like a an unspoken promise by Steve, like hey, you're not allowed to do anything, right? Just leave everything alone right yeah. let's not go crazy and gary said steve you can open as many companies as you want yeah i was like really like, <laughs> like a kid in the candy's like really yeah and he said as long as you have the right integrator yeah right and so that was the uh, the um that's the restraint yep i need to, i need to find the right guy if i can find the right guy yeah or gal that can do whatever but i'm not allowed to start until you have it yeah until i have that person it's so true yeah uh so so you were saying you're not gonna start any more companies, or you're not gonna, or are you gonna have like a different situation where like you'll start a company if you find the right person, or you find another problem that you want to that you want to yeah. eat for breakfast. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess you never, never, you should never say never. But I've learned a lot now on how to how to launch and how to run. This is my third company to do that with. Um, but I still, I feel like, I feel like I've hit my sweet spot mm -hmm. right now, and I don't foresee starting additional companies. I foresee running these. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure I can persuade you. <laughs> well, mostly I'm just trying to I'm tr trying to protect myself from my biggest weakness, which is that workhorse. Mm -hmm. Like I will work myself into a coma. Like yeah. I, 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 my husband will tell you. Like I, you have to like peel me off the street. Like I will work until that point. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I do that. Um, but I just like get at an issue and I just won't stop. So I have to protect myself from what I decide to say yes to. So that that's what comes back to time like I don't want to spend all my time building 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 I do want to get to a point where I'm like I'm doing my high impact items I'm raising my family I'm traveling I'm doing all the things I love to do at high impact levels like we're gonna work hard we're gonna play hard right but I want also to protect my time 
is that with a strategist is that the high a or the lower c that's <laughs> that's causing that part where you won't quit until it's done yeah i think so is it one or the other or is it both i think it's probably both because i'm really impatient so i'm mm. just like we're just gonna do it <laughs> right like i'll just do it i try to invent time all the time frank kevo would tell you that, yeah. that i try to invent time with him today I'm like I'll just, oh there's an hour here no I, can't, I cannot invent time i'm even einstein couldn't do that right <laughs> But yeah. All right. So then this might be a silly question is how do you stay motivated? How do I stay motivated? I think I return to the why, like the impact and I review the stuff that's helped and I review the feedback I've gotten from clients. I review the, the, what my kids say to me, what my family says to me now. Um, and that, that keeps me motivated. I mean, I, I can pretty much get out of bed on the worst day when I when I go run my list. I'm like, what okay. are they saying that, that, that keeps you motivated? The funny thing is, it's like, it's all like little things and it's almost like embarrassing to say, but they're like, you did it. Mm-hmm. Like, you can do, you did, you did stuff. You can do stuff. Words of affirmation? Yeah. I'm only asking this because usually when like words are a motivator, it's because someone said I couldn't do it. Right. But then you said friends and family. It's like, well, I'm hoping that Zach's not saying you couldn't do it. So <laughs> a lot of people said I couldn't do it. Right. Yeah. And for like a lot of entrepreneurs, that's what motivates you. Yeah. But what's motivating you is the words of affirmation, words of support. Yes. It is. It is the words of support. And then I think those are the things that you hear in your head and, and try to I try to replace those words with the things that discourage you in the beginning. Right. Mm-hmm. And all your own self-doubt and all your own head trash. Like I have a yeah. ton of head trash. And I just try to like review that list and like I can do I can do it. Like I can eat problems for breakfast, yeah. you know, and I some, and, and that's stupid, but like, I just say that stuff to myself, mm-hmm. right? I just say those words, and then I go for a run or something. And I'm like, I can do it. Yeah, it's not stupid at all, right? You know what motivates you, and, yeah. you, and you use it. Like I said, for me, it's all those people that said I couldn't do it, right? Yeah. Like I still have a list. Uh, you have like a hit list. <laughs> I have a list of everyone that said I couldn't do it, right? So, nice. Uh, that's what that's what motivates me. Yeah. Uh, what is the greatest lesson that you have learned? Oh man. Ooh, that's a hard one. This may, I don't know, this kind of this is kind of off topic, but I think the the best the biggest lesson and the best lesson that I've ever learned is to align yourself with purpose and align yourself with God. And if you do that, and when I did that, I feel like everything changed. To start with to start with that purpose, and I didn't do that for a very long time. I felt like I needed to be in control. Mhm. I had the answer, right? I have to figure out the answer. I need to know what's going to happen four steps from now for me to be able to do anything. And that kind of attests like the beginning of the story, all this fear I had to get started, all this stuff, right? And I realized I don't have to have all the answers and I am not in control. Mm -hmm. Like I am not driving the bus. I can be a participant on the bus, right? And I can do my best. But even if I do my best and it's not aligned with purpose or God's purpose, it's not going to work out. Like yeah. I'm just going to spin my wheels and it's going to suck. So I've really tried to be in tune with that, be in tune with what my purpose is. And and I feel like that's made such a huge difference. And it's also taken a lot of pressure off to have to know everything all the time. Yeah. You know, like I'll figure it out. I'm not going to, it won't happen right away. Sometimes you just got to pray. Sometimes you just got to wait. And then like things work out. You know what I mean? And that doesn't, like, I don't mean that to say, like, just lay down. Like, God's got you. He'll send, you know, the money will just get deposited in your bank. Yeah, the, the, the secret. Right. That's not true. But right. but that alignment um, 
is probably the biggest lesson I've ever learned. Uh, Not only for business, but for my marriage too. Uh, ben Bag wants to know if you could have coffee with someone dead or alive, who would it be? Well, after that, I mean, I've got to say Jesus. After that, <laughs> I have to. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he drank coffee. Maybe he would. Maybe he'd watch me drink mine. <laughs> uh, what was your favorite, best, or most interesting failure? The best or most interesting failure? Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> my most interesting failure. I tried to play guitar, and I really sucked at that. Um, what else did I really fail at? I feel like I fail all the time. I just don't stop and, and accomplish something with multiple failures. Um. I don't know. I, can't, I I don't know that I can pick just one thing that I that I failed at. I, I failed at a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a book you've gifted more than any other? Uh, yes, um, Jim Collins, "Good to Great." Mm-hmm. I've gifted that one. That's one of my favorites. It's a phenomenal book. Phenomenal. I actually, uh, made Ryan read it. Oh, really? You know, what? you should actually when you after this when you go talk to Ryan, you should let him know because I told him he needed to read "Good to Great." Yeah. And then "Built to Last." Yeah. Right. And his complaint to me was that they sound very much the same. So <laughs> They're share. different, though. That's They're, what I said. Yeah. So you should get in his ear. All right. And let him know. I'll underscore that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So I'm going to let you uh, think about what you want to leave the listeners with. Guys, um, if you got value today, please like, subscribe, share, comment, tag somebody. Uh, the more people that know about this, uh, the, you know, the closer we are uh, in achieving our mission. And actually... You guys should stay tuned in the next few weeks. We're going to be announcing something that uh, I think everyone will enjoy. We're going to be oh. enrolling the entire community into the 100 Millionaires Project. Um, and then next week, we got Austin Rutherford coming in from Ohio. And then we have our workshop. It's going to be in two days. So for you procrastinators, people that might be like me, uh, we have our workshop. It's going to be all day here in the classroom. And we're offering virtual option now. So if you guys are interested in that, send me a DM. Uh, we can enroll you, enroll you in that. That's awesome. Um, Last thoughts. All right. Last thoughts. Start small and don't stop. Eat those problems for breakfast. Sometimes that problem is I can't get out of bed. Yeah. So like you eat that problem. I'm going to put my feet on the ground. And you just start with that and you just keep going. I love it. Build momentum. That's right. It's almost like that. uh, What was that? That Navy. I think it was an admiral or whatever. It's like uh, his secret to success was making his bed every morning. Yeah. 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 Uh, If someone wants to get a hold of you, how would they reach you? You can find me on Facebook. You can go to my website. Um, so Stephanie Betters is, is where I'm at on Facebook. And the website for Left Main is leftmainrei.co. Yep. You can find me there. Awesome. I'm, I'm there. I'm out there. Google me. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Facebook is a great way. I like, I like Facebook. Facebook is great. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you for watching. Thank you. This was an absolute pleasure. Yay. Thanks for having me. And nobody died. It was great. Nobody died. <laughs>